So the next five weeks, the whole month of October, we're going to be talking about the five solas. Can you pull those up, Trey? Can you pull up that one, that one slide? If you don't know what this is, it's this. It's, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord by grace alone as our only method, through faith alone as our only means, in Christ alone as our only mediator, using Scripture alone as our only foundation, to the glory of God alone as our only ambition. This is the five solas of the Reformation. This is, this is what keyed this whole thing off. This is what keyed the entire Reformation. This is why we have a country. This is why the United States of America got started. This, is, this whole thing, it led to, it led to just an explosion of, 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 of just the mental and physical well-being of Western society. It, it all ties back to this, that we, we figured out that we could really be freed. Our souls could be freed. Our bodies could be freed. Our minds could be freed. And we could be our own men. This, it all comes back to the Reformation and to these principles. So this is what I, I, want us, I want us to understand this. I want us to memorize this. I want us to be able to defend these five things because methods of worship differ. And, and they're going to change over time and they're going to change from church to church. Methods of preaching differ. It's going to change over time and it's going to change from church to church. You can, you can go right now to a church across town and the pastor is never going to raise his voice. I, 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 you, you almost like it because that's how I am. But you can go and sit in a church where the, where the pastor never talks much more than this. It's just a, it's just a, a college lecturer giving a lecture. And, and you can go to another church and, and they can be screaming and ranting and raving and jumping up and down. Church changes. And, and there, are, there are a million varieties of, of, of lesser things, of secondary things. But these five things can never change or we've lost it all. We've lost it all. I, I can differ with, with a brother in Christ over, over, over what we call soteriology, the, 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 whole, the whole thing of theologically of trying to figure out how we're saved. I'm more on the Reformed end of the spectrum, so, so I believe that God does it all. But, but there's another brother over here that would, that would disagree with me and might disagree with me heartily that, that man has something to do with his own salvation. And that is perfectly fine. I can get along with these brothers and sisters in Christ just as long, just as long as we have these five principles in common. So let's go ahead and start talking about it. Let's, let's pray first. God, I'm so excited. I am so excited and looking so forward to these five weeks. Lord, center us. Center us on your word and center us on your gospel this morning. Lord, please take away, take away fears, take away worries, take away anxieties this morning and let us just concentrate on your blessed word this morning. Communicate your, your will and communicate yourself through the words that we read this morning. Father, help me to communicate. I have so much going on in my head about these things. Please help me to communicate clearly and effectively. Lord, we love you. Open our hearts and our minds right now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so 
If you brought your Bibles this morning, and it, or if you don't have a paper Bible, if you have a, the Bible on your phone, that's okay. Close them. And in fact, if you can put it down. This is this is what I, I, I want us this is what I want us to understand. Without this, how would we know what God wants of us? How would we know how to get saved? How would we know how to be sanctified? How would we how would we know what pleases God so that we could do it? If we didn't have this, I want you to imagine a world with me real quick. I want you to just imagine with me. Let, me. let me just paint a picture of a world for you. A world without personal Bibles. A world that has no personal Bibles at all. There are, just, there are few Bibles here in between. Like maybe a town has a single Bible. And it's written in Latin or Greek. And so, so we wouldn't even be able to read it. And in this, in this place, in this, in this world that I want to paint a picture for you this morning, you don't have access to God's Word. So how do you know? How would you possibly know what it is that God wants for you? How would you know? You, you have to depend on somebody like me. Somebody that stands up in front of everybody on Sunday mornings and, and delivers a sermon. And, and you have to depend on uh, that I have your, your best well-being at heart. You have to depend solely on me because you can't read Greek or Latin. And, and you, don't, you wouldn't even have access to it if you could. So every single morning on Sunday, I come up and I give you a sermon. And everything that you know about God and Jesus and salvation and sanctification comes from me. And what if, what if I didn't have your best interest at heart? What if I told you a lie? What, what, if, I, what if I told, I could tell you the, the most terrible heresies and you wouldn't know. I, I could tell you, I could lift up Jesus' mother Mary. I could lift her up and I could, I could put her on this pedestal and make her equal with Jesus. And I could tell you Sunday after Sunday that you can pray to Mary just as much as you can pray to Jesus and she has the ear of the Father just as much as Jesus does. In fact, it might be more beneficial for you to pray for, for Mary because Jesus would listen to his mama. I could, I could tell you, I could, I could tell you that I could throw out grace and faith completely and tell you that you have to work for your salvation and you have to work to keep your salvation. I could tell you that Jesus gets you in the door, but then you have to keep it. And the way that you keep it is through doing acts of good service and paying your tithe. And I'm keeping close records on everybody who's paying. And, and, and I set up all these rules and things for you to follow so that maybe one day you can get into heaven. But then I also tell you I set up this entire new plane of existence somewhere between heaven and earth. I set this, this place up and I call it purgatory. And I, and I start telling you that no matter what you do, no matter how good of a life you live, no matter how much money you give to the church, you can't go straight to heaven. 
You're going to have to go through this place, this intermediary place between heaven and earth. And this place is filled with fire, a purifying fire. And you might spend years there having your sin burned off of you. And then at some point, some point you would be able to go graduate back to heaven. And then what if I also told you that, uh, but don't worry because there's a system. There's a system in place that, that if you give this certain amount to the church, you can get out of purgatory and you can get your loved ones out of purgatory. And they don't have to suffer by burning anymore. And I actually, I actually have a neat little slogan that I actually tell you. It's called, every time a coin in the coffer rings, a soul from purgatory springs. I could tell you all of these things and you wouldn't know the difference. Guys, this isn't some Orwellian dystopian world. This isn't some Hunger Games place that I've painted a picture for you. This was the world for a thousand years between 400 AD and 1500 AD. The Catholic Church ruled all. And at some point, the common man stopped reading Greek. See, see, we read these letters, these letters that were sent by Paul to, to the churches, and they all spoke and read Greek so they could all unlock these scriptures for themselves, and it, it was wonderful. But at some point, the common people stopped reading Greek. They were in Germany, they, were, they read German if they could read it all, and in, in, in England, they, they did English, and in France, they did French. They didn't read Latin, and they didn't read Greek. And I think that was almost by design that the church did that because the church didn't want the people, the common man, to have access. Because what happened was by the year 400, there were, there were armchair theologians on every street corner have their own version of Christianity, their own version of the way that they would sell. And finally, the, the church, church figured out that we can't have this. We can't have a church over here and 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 they all believe different things. We can't possibly have that. So we need to set up a system. We need to, we need to make church tradition and we need to set up this council of bishops, this council of elders so that, so that they can judge what is good doctrine and what is not. And we're going to make these two things equal with Scripture. And that is how it has existed it existed for a thousand years, and that is how the Roman Catholic Church is still run 2,000 years later. It's how it's still run. The magisterium, this council of elders and church tradition is more equal than Scripture. The Pope's word is infallible. It's, it's on the level of God. So this, this picture that I've painted was real in the year 1500. It was real, this, this dark, dark world where nobody had a Bible to check on things. And you were just taking my word for it. This was real. This is a real place. And into this world steps this bright young scholar named Martin Luther. And he, he, was, a, he was a German by descent. His, his, he, they were pretty well off. They were upper middle class. His dad had sent him to college and law school. And he, he had earned a master's degree in, in law. 
And, and his dad wanted him to go, to go to Wittenberg or go to Berlin and be a lawyer and really start raking in some money. And, and he was on it, Martin Luther was on his way home to his house one night, and he was riding his horse through a, a thunderstorm. And, and the lightning was striking all around. He was really scared, and lightning struck right by him. And it knocked him off his horse, and he got on his knees, and he said, Please, God. Actually, he said, Please, St. Anne, I think. And please save me. Please save me. If you save me from this night, if I'm not struck by lightning, I'll become a monk. And sure enough, he was saved. No, the, he, he made it home. And, and he, was, he was a man true to his word. So he became a monk. His dad was very, very upset with him. His dad did not like that he, had, he was walking away from this career in law to be a monk. But Martin Luther became a monk, became a Catholic monk. And he was the most extreme monk that there ever was. The, the, the order that he joined in Germany, they were already kind of, kind of one of those freaky Catholic orders where, where they wear burlap all the time and they whip themselves. And, and, and Martin Luther did all of this to the extreme. In fact, they had to pull Martin Luther out from the snow because he decided he was going to go out in the snow in Germany in winter and sleep. And sleep and, until God showed him. Until God showed him whatever it is that Martin Luther was asking. And the, the monks had to drag him in. He didn't have a blanket. He only had his burlap sack on. Sleeping in the snow. He, he would eat a grain of rice a day. That's, that's how extreme this guy was. And for all of these acts of service, for all of these good things and all these ways that he terrified and whipped his body into submission, he knew he knew because the Catholic Church had taught him that it's still not good enough. It's still not good enough for this righteous overlord of a father God. He was still going to have to suffer a lifetime of burning and purgatory. He, there was nothing he could do. He knew he was not righteous enough to make it. And it, this tore Luther up. He hated this. And then one, one, one day, the head monk said, hey, I need, you, I need you to teach a lesson in Romans. I want you to walk us through the book of Romans. And so Martin Luther opened the book of Romans up, and he started reading and studying and thinking and pondering, and he got to Romans 1.17. Let me just read that verse. He got to Romans 1.17. And Romans 1.17 says, or for, let's start in 16. I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And Martin Luther was was blown away by that verse and he pondered it because the Catholic Church had told him that that meant that God's righteousness, God was so righteous. But he kept reading it and he kept thinking, that's not what that means. That means that the righteousness of God is transferred to us through faith. And that makes us righteous, makes us as righteous as Jesus was and holy and acceptable to this God and Father. And all of a sudden, everything was unlocked for Luther. He said that the gates, the gates of heaven swung open for him. And, and he walked through and, he, and all of a sudden, Scripture became alive for him. He, he, he started reading Ephesians 2, 8, 9 and said, 
We are saved by grace through faith. He, he started reading about Jesus where Jesus said, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And Martin Luther was just blown away by this. And he, he started thinking, the church has it all wrong. I don't know how this happened, but, but somehow the church got off track. Somehow the church got off, got, got off the mission and, and, and everything, everything is messed up. We're saved by grace through faith. We're not saved by our works. We're, we're not going to this place called purgatory. I don't see purgatory anywhere in here. And so he starts, he starts writing letters and, and, and writing books and, and, and he writes these 95 essays and he nails them to the door of the church in Wittenberg, Germany. And he never wanted to separate from the Catholic Church. He really thought that if he called attention to what was happening, that the church would say, oh my goodness, that the church's eyes would be opened and, and, and everything would be reformed. That's not what happened. The Catholic Church said, shut up. Don't tell anybody. You need to recant everything that you've said. And in fact, they, the, they came to Wittenberg. They came to, to Germany and put Luther on trial. And it, it was called the Diet of Worms, the Diet of Worms. And they put Luther on trial. And Luther is, is on trial for his life. Just a hundred years earlier, one of, one of the guys that Luther read, the, his commentaries, was burned at the stake for, for not even anywhere close to these ideas. So Luther's on trial for his life. And let's watch this. Dr. Luther. Yesterday you admitted these writings were yours. Will you tell us now, do you persist in what you have written here, or are you prepared to retract these writings and the beliefs they contain? I ask pardon if I lack the manners that befit this court. I was not brought up in king's palaces, but in the seclusion of a cloister. I am asked to retract these writings, but they are of different kinds. In some I discuss faith and good works. If I were to retract these, I should be denying accepted Christian truths. In others, I attack popery and assail men who have afflicted the Christian world and ruined the bodies and souls of other men. If I were to retract those, I should be like a cloak that covers evil. Most serene emperor, illustrious princes, noble lords, I am only a man and not God, but I must defend myself as did Jesus Christ when he said, as I say now, if I have spoken evil, bear witness against me. Martin Luther, you have not yet answered the question. Give us a simple answer. Will you recant, or will you not? You ask for a simple answer. Here it is. Unless you can convince me by scripture, 
and not by popes or councils who have often contradicted each other, unless I am so convinced that I am wrong, I am bound to my beliefs by the texts of the Bible. My conscience is captive to the word of God. To go against conscience is neither right nor safe. Therefore, I cannot and I will not recant. Here I stand. I can do no other. God help me. Amen. Unless you can convince me by Scripture, I will not recant. I am not wrong. I don't care if you bring the Pope himself into this room. If you can't convince me by the Bible that what I teach is wrong, I will never recant. These are the men who started this whole thing off. Men willing to die for Scripture, for the Bible, for the Word of God. So now let's pick up our Bibles. Luther had finally come to the conclusion that there was no other authority, no higher authority than Scripture. There's nothing that men could say. There's no commentary. There's no counsel. There's nothing that goes above Scripture. If it's not found in the Bible, then it's not true for salvation, and it's not true for sanctification, and it's not true for getting to know God. In fact, the, the reason why we're doing sola scriptura first, the reason why we're doing by Scripture alone first, is because this is what started the whole thing off. By grace alone and by faith alone and through Christ alone are probably more important, but we would never even have known them if we wouldn't have gotten back to Scripture. So open your Bibles with me and let's go to Psalm 19. Now was Luther right? Was Luther right to hold the Bible in such high esteem? Let's see what the Bible says. Psalm 19, verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making the wise simple. So the Bible is good right here. Very first verse. The Bible is good for salvation. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul, restoring the soul, making us born again. And the next, the next part of the verse. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making the wise the simple. It makes, it makes wise men out of simpletons. It, 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 makes, it makes scholars and theologians out of fishermen. It makes the simple wise. And then if we go on, it says, The precepts of the Lord are right. It rejoices the heart. It enlightens the eyes. It endures forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. 
More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is a great reward. Now that's the Old Testament. Let's go to the New Testament. Go to 2 Timothy. Second Timothy, I'm going to start reading in verse 16. All Scripture is breathed out by God. The, the Greek word there is theonustos. theonustos. It, it actually is literally God breathed. God breathed the words, the words into these men's mouths, into these men's pens. This isn't, this isn't, Paul having a dream and then trying to remember exactly what was happening and maybe he got some of it right and maybe he got some of it wrong. This is something that has never happened since then. God breathed his words into these men and they wrote them down. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the name of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And then in verse 15, it says, And from how childhood you have been acquainted with these, these sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Again, we see that Scripture is good and profitable for salvation and for sanctification, for training in righteousness, for saving our souls. Because, because it's breathed out by God. And if we look at, if we look at the, the, the priestly prayer of John 17, when, when Jesus is praying over his disciples and the followers that will come after them, he said, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is the truth. And then in Romans 10, 17, it says, Faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. So again, it's good for sanctification and salvation. The word of God is good for everything pertaining to God. Now, is there truth outside the Bible? Of course there's truth outside the Bible. The, I don't, I've, I've, I've read the Bible over a few times, and I've never seen the scientific distance from the earth to the moon in there. It's just not in there. Might be in code maybe somewhere, I don't know. But the laws of physics aren't in here. There's truth, there's natural truth, because remember, Romans says that God speaks to us in nature as well. He reveals himself in nature as well. So, of course, there's truth outside the Bible. But the Bible is the sole authority for all things pertaining to God, salvation and sanctification. So now let's, let's, let's go and, and see what Jesus said about, about the Bible. That's, that's probably important. We should probably go see what Jesus said. So Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said this. He said that Scripture is perfect. Not one jot or tittle will ever be left out of God's Word. It will never be changed. You know what a jot or a tittle is? It was the accent marks on, in the language. So not only is Jesus saying that, that the Bible is perfect, in, in all of the thoughts, in all of the words, he's even saying down to the letters, down to the slash of a Q, or the slash that makes the difference between a P and an R. 
down to that very letter. The Bible is perfect. When, when, the, when the devil came and tempted Jesus in the desert, what did Jesus do? He answers with Scripture. He doesn't answer with his own knowledge. He doesn't answer with some, well, I think the rabbi, this rabbi said that, and this rabbi said that. He answers with Scripture. So it was written. Jesus referred to the Old Testament 33 times in the Gospels. 33 times. The New Testament refers to the Old Testament over a hundred times, and that's just the first five books. I stopped counting after that. It's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times. And each time, each time that Jesus referred to the Old Testament, He referred to it as the literal words of God. Not, not it might mean this and it might mean that. He, he, he used the Old Testament as if it were the literal words of God. Scripture for Jesus was the only real authority. So, what does this 500-year-old principle mean for us? I mean, we all have our personal Bibles now. So, what, is it, what does it matter? I mean, why should we be concerned? Anybody? So we know when others speak to the truth. That, that's, that's great. That's an amazing answer. You're, you're exactly right. We live in a time. We live in a time when, when we have become bored with Scripture as Christians. We're bored with this. Anybody ever peeked into that book, Jesus Calling? Sarah Young? Sarah Young says in the foreword of that book, this is a quote, I knew that God communicated with me through the Bible, but I yearned for more. I yearned for some special revelation. So I, I, it's, it's old and it's boring and I've read it. and uh, There's got to be something else. God has to have a personal word for me. So she writes these books, and I won't even I won't get much into these, but, but she does automatic writing, which, guys, that's a new age thing. That, that's not scriptural. That was not Christian. She does automatic writing where she prays, and she concentrates on a word, and she repeats the word over and over again, and then she tries to clear her mind, and then she writes whatever God is giving her. That's called automatic writing, and it's, it's from the cult. But she did that because she longs for more than Scripture. She's bored with this. And, and we're bored with it. As, a, as Christians in this country, we have churches who, who lay this down in favor of the prophetic word that they're giving, that they're being given. They, they will hold the, the, the word that they've been given, the prophecy that they've been given over this. That's more interesting. That's more personalized. That's the world we live in. And of course we live in the world where there's a wolf dressed in sheep's clothing on every street corner. The most, some of the most popular preachers in this country tell people that there is no such thing as hell, that all roads lead to heaven. They tell them that 
we have the power to control God, that we have the power to create things with our faith. All we have to do is speak something and we speak it into existence and we can call it to us. They tell us that Jesus suffered in hell for three days. And they also tell us that Jesus was just a man until He was raised back up. And that once He was raised back up, He was given the Holy Spirit and He became a God-man. And that we can be God-men as well. In fact, if we have the Holy Spirit, we are God-men. And how would we know the difference if we didn't know this? This is why we have to cling to this principle. Even nowadays, we have been given such a gift. We have the Word of God sitting on, on, our, on our bookshelves and by our beds and, and, and maybe one in the living room. What an incredible honor it is. And we need it now more than ever. Let's pray.